Today's show is brought to you by Leatherman Data Services. How would things have gone for LaSalle if he'd had a good map maker to find the Mississippi? What if the Santa Fe expedition had been able to commission a detailed survey plot of all the wells and springs from Texas to New Mexico? If Leatherman Data Services had been around back then, Texas history may have turned out differently. Leatherman Data Services are experienced cartographers who share your passion for the past. They provide high-quality mapping and geographic data services for historians, archaeologists, and cultural resource management firms, people who plumb the depths of history and need their maps to be accurate. If you think you may need their services, you can contact Leatherman Data Services by sending an email to leathermandataservices at gmail.com or find out more at their website, leathermandataservices.com. We thank Leatherman Data Services for sponsoring this episode and many others on the History Podcasters Network. You can find more shows like this one at historypodcasters.com. You can catch a flight to nearly any Confederate state you like. (laughs) Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. And I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elpstrom. Located six miles north of downtown Dallas, Love Field has been a central part of Texas aviation and history since 1917. Whether training pilots for both world wars, ushering in commercial aviation in the state, or playing its own part in the tragedy of the JFK assassination, Love Field has had many historic moments. Today, we discuss the rise and fall and resurrection of this amazing airport, Dallas's own Love Field. But first, who's your favorite Texas aviator. Well, I'm going to just stick with uh, my favorite aviator and astronaut, Alan Bean. My favorite adi- aviator is Claire Lee Chenault of Commerce, Texas, and he's most famous for founding the Flying Tigers during World War II. And he was from, he was a Texan, cool. but in China. A Texan in China. <clears throat> well, I think those are great answers, but I think we all know that the greatest American and Texan aviator is Captain Chelsea Sully Sullenberger, who saved the American Airlines flight by landing in the Hudson River, a feat not doubled by any commercial airline pilot that I'm aware of. That's something that Jim Bowie would probably do, (laughs) if he were a pilot. He's from Denison, Texas. Thank you very much. He's a true Texan. We salute you, Captain Sully. (laughs) You come on down and see us when you're ready. Yeah. Okay. Love Field began its life soon after America entered the First World War. Dallas was selected to be the site of one of 32 new United States Army Air Service bases where news pilots would be trained before shipping off to Europe. The field was founded on October 1917, located by Bachman Lake in what was then North Dallas. It was named after Lieutenant Moss Love, an early aviator who was killed in a plane crash in 1913. The first unit stationed there was the 136th Aero Squadron, which transferred from Kelly Field in San Antonio. And for the next year, several training squadrons rotated through the base. After the war, the Army deactivated the base, but for several years, it continued to use Love as a refueling point for long-distance flight. In 1927, the city of Dallas purchased Love Field for civilian use. Airlines were just getting started in the U.S., and National Air Transport, which had been the first airline to operate cross-country service, started offering passenger service to San Antonio and Houston in 1928. Within a few years, National Air Transport was gone, but American, Braniff, and Delta Airlines all operated flights out of Love Field. In 1932, the city paved the runways, and by 1940, there were over 20 daily departures. 
Braniff Airways made Love Field its principal operations and maintenance base in 1934 and later moved its headquarters to Dallas from Oklahoma. That was in 1942. The Army Air Corps also returned as the world appeared headed to war. In mid-1939, Love Field was selected as one of the War Department-approved civilian aviation schools set up to train prospective pilots, and this began in 1940. After the war began, training duties moved elsewhere in Texas, but Love Field was rapidly expanded throughout the war. In 1942, it became the national headquarters for Air Transport Command, which was primarily responsible for ferrying aircraft and for long-range air transport of material from the U.S. to the war zones. Thousands of aircraft were ferried from factories through Love Field to bases in the U.S. and overseas, mostly by women's Army service pilots. After the war, Love Field reverted fully to civilian use. In the 1940s, saw a rapid increase in the air travel industry, and expansions that Ward brought to the airport stood it in good stead to take advantage of that increase. In 1947, a new terminal was opened on the east side of the airfield. Pioneer Airlines moved its headquarters from Houston to Dallas in 1950, and by 1957, there were nearly 200 daily departures from Love to destinations throughout the U.S. and to Mexico City. However, the expansion was not without cost. In 1949, an American Airlines DC-6 en route, an American Airlines DC-6 en route from New York City to Mexico City crashed on approach, killing 28 people. It was the worst air disaster in Texas history up to that point, and it remains the worst accident in Love Field history. The development of Fort Worth's Amon Carter Field created competition for Love Field, and Dallas built a new, ultra-modern terminal at Love in 1958, which is still in use today. The terminal featured three concourses, 26 ramp-level gates, and the world's first airport moving walkway. Braniff also built a sleek and stylish new headquarters on the west side of the airport in 1958. In 1959, American Airlines introduced jet service to Love Field when the amazing Boeing 707 began flights to New York. Love Field quickly became the center of the fast-paced, jet-set lifestyle that Dallas became famous for, but its Texas roots were not forgotten. In 1961, a large bronze statue was given to the airport depicting 20th century Texas Ranger Captain Jay Banks with the inscription, One Riot, One Ranger, and it quickly became an iconic part of the airport's character. On the morning of November 22, 1963, Air Force One touched down on Love Field. Thousands of people gathered to catch a glimpse of President John F. Kennedy and his glamorous wife Jackie as they emerged from the plane to start their motorcade through Dallas. Sadly, an assassin's bullet would mar this beautiful fall day, and through this tragedy, Love Field would be the site of an extraordinary moment in American history. Just over two hours after their arrival aboard Air Force One on the runway at Love Field, Vice President Lyndon Baines Johnson would be sworn in as the 36th president, the only time this ever occurred in the state of Texas. Despite the tragedy and Love Field's association with it, it continued to grow and expand, and throughout the early 70s, it was the most important airport in north-central Texas. The runways were expanded in 1965. In the late 60s, American and Braniff expanded their terminal concourses. Braniff's was in many ways a style setter for the air travel industry in the 1960s. Fashion designer Emilio Pucci designed flashy, mod-inspired flight attendant outfits that made Braniff one of the first airlines to stand out from the traditional Pan Am-inspired uniforms of the day. He even designed clear plastic bubble helmets for stewardesses to use to keep their hair in place as they walked across the tarmac to the jet ramps in the pre-jetway days. Braniff's terminal expansion was extensive, and it was heralded as the terminal of the future. It featured many innovations, including a rotunda concourse, jet bridges, and the famed jet rail, 
the world's first automated monorail system which connected the terminal with the parking lots. Monorail. What's it called? Monorail. That's right. Monorail. Monorail. <laughs> In many ways, though, Love Field was a victim of its own success. The growth of the airline industry that accompanied the golden age of jet travel, as well as its proximity to downtown Dallas, made Love the primary jet airline airport in DFW. Its capacity far outpaced the next biggest airport in the region, Fort Worth's Amon Carter Field, which was renamed Great Southwest Airport in 1960, as well as all other airports combined. In 1964, the FAA announced that it was no longer going to provide funding for two regional airports in the area. Dallas and Fort Worth were given an ultimatum by the FAA to select a common location where the agency would select a new site for them. Love Field should have been the natural choice for the sole major airport in the region, but there were practical reasons for preventing this. Love Field was limited to a 1,400-acre section of land in Dallas that was completely surrounded by residential and commercial zones. There would be no room to expand runways and terminal space. This kind of expansion was critical to support heavy use of the upcoming wide-body jumbo jets, such as the 747, and the proposed supersonic airliners, such as the Concorde and the SST, which were preparing to usher in a new age in international travel. There was also political opposition from Fort Worth, as well as the local neighborhoods that were frustrated with the traffic and noise from the airport. In 1965, city officials finally agreed to a common site for the new airport. They would build it just north of the Great Southwest, halfway between the downtown cities of Dallas and Fort Worth. Construction began on the 17,000-acre Dallas-Fort Worth Regional Airport, or DFW for short, in 1969 and was set to have seven runways and initially four semicircular terminals with room for nine more. All of the airlines operating out of Love Field and Great Southwest signed agreements to relocate to DFW, and both cities agreed to restrict passenger service from the two older fields. Braniff planned on being the major carrier, committing to move all of its headquarters, flight operations, and main hub to DFW when it opened in 1974. All the airlines also committed to maintaining Love Field as the premier jet service airport until DFW could be completed, and many of the expansions we talked about before this were around this time frame. It was hoped that Love Field would become a commercial runway only, and eventually wither away within a few years. What nobody could account for were Herb Kelleher and Roland King. Kelleher was a New Jersey attorney who'd moved to Texas looking for new legal and business opportunities. King was a businessman and was one of Kelleher's clients. In 1967, they came up with an idea for an airline that would keep costs running low by keeping flights within the state of Texas, thus avoiding federal regulations, and also by standardizing operations such as using only one type of aircraft and, and offering simple pricing and seating structures. Their venture, Air Southwest, was incorporated in 1967 and it announced that it would fly between three cities, Houston, San Antonio, and Dallas. The fledgling airline, which hadn't made a flight yet, was immediately challenged by the major airlines operating out of Texas, but the Texas Supreme Court confirmed Southwest's right to fly within the state. God bless Texas Supreme Court. <laughs> In 1971, when flight service began, Air Southwest changed its name to Southwest Airlines and moved its headquarters to Love Field. They suffered some lean years at first, but they developed a unique identity that made them stand out, incorporating a laid-back, not-so-serious corporate environment with some Texas flair. Much like the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders who were among the leading sex symbols of the day, Southwest recruited cheerleaders and dancers who were dressed in hot pants and go-go boots for the airline's long legs and short nights flights. That was a different age. <laughs> totally yeah. different. It was a different time, kids. Kelleher's refusal to go with the flow continued to create problems for the young airline. Southwest had no plans to operate out of DFW, though, preferring to stick with Love Field. 
They opposed moving because of the expense, lack of premium terminal space that would be allowed to them by the dominant airlines, and because Herb argued that their key clientele, Dallas businessmen, would not want to drive all the way out to Irving to catch a short flight to Houston or San Antonio, which is totally true. <laughs> Once again, Braniff, American, Continental, and the other big airlines pressured the city of Dallas into forcing Southwest to stop operating out of Love Field. Southwest filed suit, and their case went all the way to the Supreme Court. Of the U.S. Of the United States. I suppose that court is higher than the Texas one, yeah. but only for legal reasons. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So it went to the Supreme Court, where they argued that they were not bound to an agreement made prior to their formation, and there was no legal basis to closing the airport to commercial service. The Supreme Court agreed, ruling that the federal agencies could not control travel within a state, and that the city of Dallas could not prevent an airline from operating out of Love Field as long as it remained open, since the city had no plans to outright close the airport. In 1974, when DFW opened, Love Field would become essentially a Southwest Airlines airport. Most of the concourses and terminal space was closed off, but Southwest continued to grow along with the rest of the industry, expanding flights to most of the other major airports within Texas, such as Lubbock, Odessa, El Paso, Austin, Waco, etc., in 1978, the airline industry was deregulated, removing many of the controls that govern interstate air travel, uh, and it opened up the market to new carriers. Southwest Airlines now planned to offer interstate flights from Love Field, since there was no legal impediment to prevent them from doing this. Once again, the big guys over at DFW, as well as the city of Fort Worth, now feeling left out since its airport that was given up for DFW was long gone, got all up in a tizzy about what Southwest was planning on doing. This time, they bypassed the courts completely. United States Representative Jim Wright, who represented Fort Worth in Congress, sponsored and helped get an amendment to the International Air Transportation Act of 1979 that would heavily regulate air traffic out of Love Field. The so-called Wright Amendment restricted passenger flights out of Love to only airports within Texas, as well as adjoining states. Flights to other states could only be made by aircraft with fewer than 56 seats. The terms of the regulation didn't immediately impact Southwest, since that was exactly the current footprint. As they grew to include other states, though, most people who flew Southwest quickly figured out that they could simply use the stops at non-right regulated airports as connecting flights, the so-called Texas two-step. Southwest's prices were so low that even buying two sets of tickets often was cheaper than paying for a non-stop flight from another airline. In the 1980s, deregulation had the unfortunate side effect of devastating the pre-regulation airline industry. Major carriers that had existed for decades, such as Eastern, Pan Am, and TWA, went under. Up until 1980, Braniff International Airways had been the most profitable and fastest-growing airline in the world and would expand its service to include international travel, as well as being the only American carrier to operate the supersonic Concorde. However, increased competition, labor problems, rising fuel prices, and failure to adequately manage costs and realize profits forced the airline to go steeply into debt. In May 1982, the carrier abruptly declared bankruptcy and ceased all flight operations. And some of these planes were still taxiing on the runway or some were even in the air when it happened. Yeah, I bet that was uh, disconcerting for the pilots. Well, well getting, getting a radio call. Yeah, um, we just went bankrupt. Hey, Bill, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and land the plane, though. Yeah, they, they let the ones they let the planes that were in the air land. Awkward. Uh, but my dad actually has a my dad was the principal in McGargle at the time, and he had a group of seniors on a senior trip, uh, small school. There's about ten of them. They were on a cruise. They were he was said they just left Jamaica, 
Yeah. They'd flown to Miami on Braniff. Oh, and they got a call to go to the stateroom, and and uh, the travel agent on the ship said, "Well, Braniff's gone bankrupt, so we're trying to get you travel arrangements. Uh, we may have to split up some parties." And my, and they were like, "How many people do you have?" And someone person said, well, "We got two. We got four. My dad said, "I've got 12. and they can't be split up because it's against the law because I'm their chaperone. Yeah. <laughs> so they had to. It took them about a day to finally get. A, he said he thinks they went home on Delta, but yeah, they they left on Braniff, and were in the ocean. When they found out their their plane flight was not going to be there when they got back wow, to Miami. That's crazy. Well, in 1984, the Hyatt Corporation took over the airline's assets and started Braniff Incorporated as a low-cost carrier. They moved the offices to the old Love Field headquarters and much of old Braniff's old hub terminal space at DFW. For five years, they made a go of it, but it too went bankrupt in 1989. The Love Field headquarters had been closed for two years after they moved operations to Orlando. This Braniff is the one you see on the end credits of South Park. In the 70s and 80s, one of the biggest questions for Dallas was, what to do with love? The city attempted to turn the airport into Love Entertainment Complex in 1975 with movie theaters, arcades, skating rinks, and a bowling alley. And but, that's, that's spelled love, L-L-O-V-E. Well, I love it. <laughs> Some other schemes and plans fell through. But Southwest kept the airport alive by utilizing unused terminals and concourses for training purposes, or when the main concourse needed maintenance or upgrades. As Southwest grew and proved to be profitable, other airlines tried to emulate their success by creating short-haul airlines that could operate within the restrictions of the Wright Amendment, but none could be profitable the way Southwest is. Hello, Legend Air. I'm looking at you. (laughs) In the late 90s, DFW, which had been designed to be so huge that it would, quote, never reach capacity started to do just that. Continental Airlines started to look at Love Field as a viable alternative to its constricted space at DFW, especially for its short-haul service, and the city of Dallas began supporting the repeal of the Ryden Amendment starting in 92. In 97, Congressman Richard Shelby of Alabama got an amendment passed in Congress that loosened ride restrictions to include Kansas, Mississippi, and, you guessed it, Alabama. Um, And they were added to the state list. Uh, the return of Continental and later Delta to love, as well as the continued success of Southwest, led to a resurgence for the airport. In the early 2000s, it went through another major renovation and modernization. You can catch a flight to nearly any Confederate state you like. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Fort Worth, DFW, and American Airlines, which was now the major carrier at DFW, could not allow this to go unchecked. So they sued the city of Dallas and the Department of Transportation to block the Shelby Amendment and prevent more flights from going out of love. American did so even as it moved some flights back into love. In 2000, federal courts struck down all the lawsuits, and this opened the door to increased long-haul flights out of Love Field. Unfortunately, the post-9-11 recession hit the airline industry especially hard, forcing most of the carriers to pull out of love again. Southwest and Continental Express kept things alive, as did the fight to fully repeal the Wright Amendment. I miss those little American hoppers out of love field. (laughs) I like those flights. Well, in 2006, a deal was struck between all the parties that would seek to fully dismantle the Wright Amendment over the next decade. The nonstop ban would last until 2014, but new exempted states to the Wright Zone would be added during that period. Uh, So they added Missouri and Illinois and several different ones. Love's maximum gate capacity also was lowered to 20 gates, but through ticketing for one-stop flights would be allowed. No more having to do the Texas two-step of buying two tickets for each leg of your flight from Love Field. There were lots of complaints that the gate cap would benefit the big providers who were already operating out of Love, and that probably are true. 
but the cap may not be a permanent thing since the fight against Wright has proven that over the years. One of the big ones is when they allowed him to start flying to Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah, American <laughs> fought that one pretty hard. That was that's that's one of the big that's the big ticket. Today Love Field is thriving with a new concourse and terminal, the excellent Frontiers of Flight Museum on the grounds, and plans for expanding the Dallas Area Rapid Transit, or DART, to accommodate a full station just outside the airport with an extensive people mover system to connect the two. Southwest Airlines is always is the big winner. They're set to hit the post right era ground running. They plan to expand over a dozen new destinations after October thirteenth. For an airport that was consigned to oblivion 40 years ago, the future is, in fact, very bright for Dallas Love Field. Yeah, and, you know, I haven't flown a lot out of Dallas, but I don't, I think maybe most of my flights have been through Love Field, but mostly because I fly, you know, locally or to one of the right states. I'm the, I'm the, the most active flyer here. I fly a lot, and I have to say that Love Field is a convenience when you have to go somewhere in a short time on a little hopper flights around. It's very nice. But this new renovation, the last set of renovations, is really interesting to me because when they were doing it, I flew, and the old concourse, you know, it it really feels like 1968, Mm -hmm. kind of when you go down there. But the new concourse is absolutely stunning and gorgeous. They put in all of this stonework, and in addition to that, they have a huge Whataburger right inside the Mm. airport. So you can get Whataburger. They have a Dickies, which whatever. But then they um, <laughs> they have a couple of you know it's like whatever. They have a couple other places. But they have, you know they it's really open, airy, classy. It's very modern, and uh, you know I mean of course you have to get through security. But once you're kind of inside the airport, it's really a nice experience. They've done a great job with Love Field. The thing about Love Field is. From a personal perspective, I love Love Field. Um, in 95, when my grandmother passed, or great-grandmother passed away, uh, my dad got a ticket for me to fly out to Odessa. And, and I think Scott and Jared, you guys dropped me off at the Love Field. And, and Jared, our friend from college, said, gosh, this place is empty. We could play live-action Shadowrun in here and not get in any trouble or something like that. And and it was true. It was, it was a ghost town at the time. Um then five or four years later, five years later in 99, I, I was working for EDS and we were working on the Continental Airlines contract. We took a hop over uh, down to uh, Intercontinental Airport from Love Field on Continental Express. And they'd already done the renovations in the airport and it was a totally different place. And I think that's the great thing about Love Field and about Southwest Airlines is Love Field has this long, rich history of character. And Southwest is a character airline. And it came in to this place, kept it alive and kept the fight going. Uh, largely on the back of Herb Kelleher. Well, I think you can't separate you can't separate the two. I mean, At that's this the point, thing. No, is, you can't. And, well, for the last you know, twenty years, twenty years, it's twenty thirty years. You can't separate the two. I mean, the Southwest is that airport, right. and that's what it is. And it actually is is you know, uh, it's one of those interesting. I think very Texas kind of story because it's it's they've built them their success on the back of this. Well, we're gonna. We're going to do it our way. Mm-hmm. We're going to do it our way. And there's something very Texan about the way that they approach things. Right. And Herb Herb is that, that kind of person. I have a friend that used to work for him. And some lady was complaining about something. Uh, and Herb was walking through the terminal. And he stopped at the gate, listened to what the lady had to say, pulled out a $100 bill and said, here's your money back for your ticket. You're never flying my airline again. Because she was just being a, a – she was griping about that she wasn't able to get her seat first. And right. he was like, leave, get out. You're not well, going to fly I, my airline. Yeah, I, I remember, you know, flying Southwest and I mean, I don't know, I haven't flown Southwest in a while, but I remember 
to board, you know, you got your little plastic boarding yeah. pass and it was all random. It's like just a big shuffle of cards. And it's like, what, whatever order you got there, you got a random card and it didn't matter. There wasn't uh, different classes yeah. to get on. But I, my experience with Love Field is mostly dropping off and picking up people. Mm-hmm. And hmm. I have to say that the convenience of Love Field rates much higher than driving all the way out to DFW. Well, yeah, it's, or through DFW. Even yeah. even once you get into DFW, it's difficult to get around. It's there very, again. but it's 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 hard to compare DFW to Love Field, and I and I say this as somebody who's been like in tons of airports. I mean, they're they're two completely different animals because uh, there's forty something gates in generally in each terminal. of the each yeah. of the five main terminals that are there. And DFW. Yeah, so it's like okay, we you know twenty gates versus two hundred gates, and so you just and when you look at the physical real estate that DFW sits on, I met a fella. A fella. I met a guy from the FAA once and we were talking and he said, you know, the thing about DFW that has on all the other airports in the world uh, is that we have, there's so much land that it sits on. It's near a major metropolitan area, but they have so much land cordon off that, that for the airport, the thing which will build more runways. So it's not uncommon for me to land on one side of the airport and have a 45 minute taxi to get to the other side of the airport then followed by a 30 to 40 minute, you know, waiting for your bags kind of moment. So, (laughs) you know, whereas Love Field is the idea is is that, you know, it, it feels like a, like a rundown Greyhound station when you would pull up out front and go inside, but I'm just getting on a plane and going to Houston. I'm just taking a 30 minute flight here, a 30 minute flight there. I, I do like the fact that, you know, the outside of Love Field, like it's such a strange experience now because the outside still looks very much the same. Right. So it still looks kind of like it did when JFK was assassinated. But then you go inside and you know the lobby is fairly the same but on the other side of the TSA with all the new renovations it's just it's like it's like a weird it's like when you go in those weird old houses that's been renovated. And you're like the outside looks like a, a and then you go inside and you're like, "Oh, this is like a, a very modern and it's still How'd you fit this big palace in yeah. this little crummy house." And that character does have, Lovefield does have that character and it's still a developing story because the old Braniff headquarters, which is set empty for 25 years, um, is is kind of falling apart. And they're trying to tear it down and put in, I don't know, a car dealership or something there. And there's still people trying to fight it because it's such an iconic building and such an iconic part of that area. And so, but they don't, they can't get the money to renovate it and fix it up. So it's kind of a, there's, there's kind of a, a cycle there of, uh, a circular process there of trying to figure that out. And then probably in the end, it'll get torn down. But again, it's like you said, it's, it's that, that building is the one that's in the background of all those pictures of JFK getting in the yeah. car to leave, to go on his motorcade. Are there any uh, ghosts in the oh, building? Yeah. <laughs> and I love that statue of the Ranger that's still there yeah. in Lovefield. It's fantastic. And incongruous as it may be. As in, Yeah. Yeah. Come on in October, we'll all fly to, New York City on Southwest Airlines. No, you won't. (laughs) You'll still take American when you have to go to New York City. That about wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast. Or go to brainstaple.com and leave us some feedback. Be sure to indicate whether it's okay for us to mention you on the show. You can also find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. If you like the show, tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, 
Texas wants you anyway. Thank you.